Hi, welcome to Chatting to a Friend. I'm Katie Friend and in this podcast I'm chatting to incredible women about their life experiences and adventures as well as their thoughts on friendship, community, self-care, setting boundaries and how they keep healthy, happy and sane. Veronica Rojas is an Ecuadorian environmental engineer by trade and by nationality, clearly, but she has in recent years decided that that is not her passion and she is a sponsored trail runner. She has set up a company to enable people, especially women in Latin America, to understand how to plan, how to really get into doing more adventures uh, including a lot of mindset work. She runs a travel photography company with her husband, fast packing, uh, trekking, f- doing photography. And I invited her on the podcast because, well, I met her many years ago when she lived in the village next to me, as you'll hear on the podcast. And I've followed her journey with a really a huge amounts of admiration because as with many of my guests, but and with many people, you know, she gave up doing something that was a good, sensible job to follow her passion. And I have found that extremely admirable. She's had some ups and downs in life, as you will hear as well, but her willingness and ability to follow her gut and listen to her instincts seems to have been something that has stood her in such good stead all throughout her life to this point, And I'm sure will not let her down as she goes forward. A really phenomenal conversation about summers with her grandparents in the Amazonian jungle to taking, doing a master's degree in Cambridge to living in seven different countries and now to her current career. And it's a really kind and calm and gentle and super inspiring conversation. Enjoy. Hi, Veronica. How are you? Hi, Katie. I'm good. I'm good. Thank you. How are you? Oh, I'm very well. Thank you. Very well indeed. Enjoying the sunshine after a very, very rainy start to the summer. So yeah, great to have you on the podcast. Well, I'm very happy to be here. You have, um, I have listened to some of your episodes and you have had amazing guests. So I am really honored to be here. Oh, well, it's my absolute pleasure. Yes, I, I have had the uh, just really some amazing guests. I've been blown away by the caliber. And so I'm very honored that you've joined us now, uh, joined me. Now we know each other. I don't know many of my guests, but we know each other because we used to almost be neighbors for a while here in Switzerland. Oh, yes, it was beautiful. Prarayer for me is one of the most amazing places that I have lived in. And I have lived like in seven places and visited more than 40 countries. And I really have the best memories of of Prarayer. Ah, oh, lovely. And so what, what other countries have you lived in now? Currently you live in Sweden. Where else yes. have you lived? I have lived in uh, the UK, in Cambridge. I have mm-hmm. also lived in China. Ooh. I have lived in France. I have lived in, uh, well, Switzerland, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, Ecuador, my home country. I'm almost mm-hmm. forgetting that one. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Uh, well, it's seven. I don't know if I mention all of them right oh, now. Oh, amazing. And what, obviously you were born in Ecuador and I believe between the mountains and the jungle, that sounds like an amazing childhood. Oh, it was so amazing. Yes. I was born in the Andes actually at 3000 meters of altitude wow. in Quito, which is the capital. Mm-hmm. 
but my parents used to take us um, almost every year, like to spend two or three months of our um, holidays in uh, in the jungle, basically, because my <sighs> grandparents used to have a place. Well, they have a place there. So my childhood was like three months of the year in the jungle, you know, in rivers and milking cows, learning new things like this. And it was amazing, amazing, amazing. We didn't want to go back to the city with my sister. <laughs> and you say you were born at 3000 meters, you know, and famously Killian Journey says that one of the reasons he reckons he was such, he's such a good athlete is because he was born and lived, uh, you know, he was born in a mountain hut in the Pyrenees. Do you think that what you've ended up doing, running and so on, uh, has helped by being having that high altitude as at such a young age? I think that it has helped me when I have done races in Europe, for instance, when I used to live in Ecuador, of course, traveling abroad and doing races out abroad and running and at low um, altitude, it was really helpful for me. But mm. I wouldn't say that that, would, um, that was the main reason probably why I am um, what I uh, was probably good at running or not because mm-hmm. I actually do not enjoy very much being at high altitude nowadays oh. at least <laughs> <laughs> well that's interesting <laughs> yeah. why is that what does it do to you that makes you not enjoy it well, now I have been living abroad for maybe four or five years of my life. And every time I go back to Quito, I can feel the altitude when I go out. And it takes mm. at least two or three weeks that I can actually, until I can actually go back to, not not really go back to where I used to perform, but to feel good and to feel better. Mm. So uh, it is probably because of that, because I'm not used to it anymore. Yeah. And more than anything, I'll say. And what do you think these amazing summers with your grandparents in the jungle, what what do you think that gave you for life? Oh, it was, it is a mix of things. Uh, For me, it was about sharing with people in, you know, small villages in the Amazon region in Ecuador, uh, people that probably do not have access to education. Mm -hmm. And you learn to value other things than, um, you know, the materialistic things that sometimes mm-hmm. you can find in cities. The food that they have is very different as well. But uh, I, I love all this kind of um, trying new things, uh, not only uh, regarding to food, which I love, but also, as I told you at the beginning, uh, we used to go and milk cows and also horseback riding uh, as much as I can and just walk in the rivers and in the jungle like for hours. And mm. one of the things that I enjoyed the most was um, the feeling of being free without yeah. any danger. Um I mean more like human dangers because in the yes. jungle there is always like animals and things like that that you be you probably need to be um aware of mm-hmm. but in my case I think for me it was really um it was really good because it has given me now that I am a woman um a lot of skills to mm-hmm. not feel afraid about many things actually mm. I don't feel afraid of any animal or it, I, if I have a fear, it's maybe growing old, but uh, <laughs> I don't have a fear of nat- anything around in nature. 
That's amazing because I know one of the challenges that you took on is it just quite recently, was it in the winter or towards the end of last summer, is you went off camping by yourself. Is that right? For the first time? Yes, I did. And I think um, for me, that was a big, big challenge to go mm. out by myself. But I wasn't really afraid of people or um, being, um, you know, or any animal outside. I was I was a little bit afraid of being alone and the darkness. Mm -hmm. um, more than anything was the darkness because I have never been alone in the dark and sleeping in the dark by myself. Um, that was a big challenge for me. But mm. actually, when I was in the moment, it wasn't that big as I thought it was going to be. Did you love it? Did you love the whole camping out by yourself? Oh, I, it was so empowering, Katie. It was so, so empowering. And it's amazing how, um, something that looks so simple, how much can uh, empower a person. Mm. And I don't, I'm, I'm not talking about going camping alone, you know, like when you go out of your comfort zone or when you do things that you are afraid of doing, but you mm. want to do them, uh, because you don't need to do things that you don't want to, right? But mm. when you really want to do something and you are really afraid of doing them and you finally do it, it's so empowering. And it's like a whole new level um, opens up mm. in, in your life. And for me, it was so rewarding. And when you say that, I assume that means you know, big and small, because to some people going, especially a man, perhaps this thing would think, well, going camping by yourself, big deal. But, you know, there is a great deal of uh, emphasis these days on finding the things that it, it's really important that it's the individual, it's who, whatever pushes you out of your comfort zone. So whether that is climbing Everest or just taking a different path on a, on a dog walk. It can, it, they're both equally as important if it's something that pushes you and, as you say, empowers you. Yeah, exactly. Because the comfort zone that we face, like, is different for each individual, right? Like, it's mm -hmm. different for each for each person, and uh, you just need to be careful to not go through the panic or to the panic zone because in that mm -hmm. zone, yeah, there is no really learning or there is no um, expansion because you do things in the panic zone just from fear and not from mm -hmm. love. But when you are in your comfort, like out of your comfort zone, doing something that you are, you are afraid of doing, but you want to do it, you are doing that because um, you want to learn and you want to grow. Even sometimes with you, when you don't really see it at that time, but you will for sure. Mm. I think that seems to be quite a big theme uh, that I've come across with a lot of my guests. It's the not realizing that you are growing because you're in that deeply uncomfortable kind of as someone sort of that kind of sweaty, itchy, oh, this is really hard. And not necessarily on an adventure, even just in life, in facing up to things you may not like about yourself. And that is where the growth is happening. Yeah, completely, completely agree with that. And I, I will say that even when you are in life, not really doing anything that puts you out in your out of your comfort zone, but you still want to do things and you are stopping yourself to doing these things just because you are afraid of doing them you are also in a very uncomfortable zone mm. because like, let's say like, for instance, one of my, my examples that I can put right now that I just passed 
maybe three or four months ago, I um I just released an online course that mm. I have been wanting to do like for six months. And I was just so paralyzed, you know, I was like mm. so afraid of doing it until one day. Um, but I really, really wanted to do it. I just was super scared of you know putting myself out this imposter syndrome and all these things in my mind that was so difficult for me to overcome until one day uh Jonas my husband he told me and he said okay if it is making you feel this nervous and this bad just don't do it and for me it was like oh no oh no when he (laughs) said that was like Oh no, this is actually something that I really want to do it. And I finally did it. And you cannot imagine how relieving uh, it was for me. Because as I say, that comfort zone that you think you are is really uncomfortable when you stay there for so long. That's amazing. And we're going to come back to your courses, uh, your course in, in a little minute, but I wanted to just go back a, uh, a little step because it seems like from what I can read, Although I had to Google translate your website, obviously, because it's in, in Espanol and, and my Espanol is not so good as it should be given I studied it at university. But anyway, um, that you have had a lot of, uh, periods in your life where people have said, Oh, you shouldn't do this. This is not for you. This is not for girls. Why are you not? And it seems like sort of that's been a theme throughout your life that you have managed to say, well, that's, thank you very much, but that's not your life. It's mine. Yes. I think I was actually very fortunate uh, when I was a teenager and maybe a child as well, because I remember I always liked sports and um, mainly like, (laughs) let's say, um, like I used to love to play football, for instance, or soccer uh, when I was in high school and when I was in school. And at that time, at least in Ecuador, I know it happened in many parts of the world, but they were sports meant to be for men, you know? Mm. And I was listening all the time from my classmates, women and men at that point, like, oh, this is only for men. Um, And they putting nicknames on me because I used to play these sports. And it was, I, I don't remember this time as being hard for me because I always kept doing what I wanted. Mm. But I do remember that I was bullied in school because of mm. this for sure. And very bullied. But I was lucky, I say, because um, I was able to keep doing what I love at that time. but not many women keep doing that or not many people actually keep, you know, um, keep moving forward with the things they actually like doing or love doing when you have to face this challenge as a, as a teenager, because you want Mm. to fit in society, you want to fit in a group. So sometimes we change what we are meant to be or what we really want to do because of this. And yes, later on, when I, um, I was 25, 20, 30 years old, I start traveling a lot and, you know, living my life as, as I wanted to live. And I start hearing other things like, why are you traveling so much? You should already like uh, starting to find a man, have kids. Mm -hmm. And, and 
I actually, um, one of my friends also told me once, like, why do you have a, such a small car? Like, why don't you start, stop traveling so much and just buy a better car? And for me, yeah. that was like, oh my God, I cannot believe this. You know, of course, these are projections of other people yeah. telling you things that you shouldn't do because either they don't want to or they don't feel capable. But, um, Yes, I was fortunate that I kept doing the things I really wanted to. And that has led me to actually live my life to the fullest, I will say. Uh, not mm. always, of course, it's not perfect or anything like that. But mm. uh, in that regard, I have, I have been blessed for sure. And where do you think that came from? Because it's, as you say, not many people stick at something in the face of constant disapproval or other people's I think there's something on your website it certainly translates as don't allow other people's limitations to become your story how did you how did you have the fortitude of the sort of presence of mind as a teenage girl because that's hard you, you know, know to what? keep going yes at that time I remember um I think that of course a big part of this were my parents because mm. they never disapproved any of the things I um mm. I was doing uh, in my life, they always encourage me and they always support me, actually. Um, mm. But I think also when I was a teenager, for me, it was very helpful to to read a lot of uh, personal development, uh, development, yeah, books. And mm. that for me was very helpful at that time to support myself in, to give me more confidence and security, probably. Obviously, I was doing all this and not really um, consciously, but probably reading all this information just came out of a necessity at that time. And I actually enjoy that very much, that kind of lecture uh, nowadays as well. Mm. And you then took the big step to move to England to study at Cambridge. What drove you to want to do that and to go specifically to, to Cambridge? Well, I did a master in Cambridge. So when I did uh -huh. my master, I think I was already 27, 28. Yes, because I did my, um, I did, I am an environmental engineer, uh, in Ecuador. And then I did a master in Cambridge in sustainability. Right. So when I applied to Cambridge, um, it was because um, an ex-boyfriend was studying at the time a PhD there. So we were, um, uh, yes, we, uh, it was an ex-boyfriend actually. And I was already applying to a, to a master in, a, in a Spain because I really wanted to go to Spain. Also because of the language for me, it was easy. Mm -hmm. At that time, my English wasn't really like good so I didn't even think mm -hmm. about studying in English at that time and he was like oh I think you should apply in England and I was like oh no no that's not for me and <laughs> Cambridge looks so far away for me it was like oh Harvard Oxford or Cambridge like mm. uh, you see only in movies it was never yeah. on my it was I was never that uh, let's say uh, the person that dreamt uh, on some with something like that at all uh -huh. the the opportunity just unfold in front of me and I was like okay if these people can be there of course I can also be there you know yeah. so I sent several um applications to Cambridge to University College London to when in Spain as well and I was very surprised when I was accepted to UCL and also to Cambridge wow and yes I will say like 
uh, these are just limiting beliefs that we have, you know, that at the beginning I didn't believe that I will be able to, because I was never like a really good student. I was not bad, but I was not the kind of a student that I will say, oh, I will end up in one of these universities, you know, mm. but when you believe, when you have faith, when you, when you do things, um, because you really want to, and they are aligned in your with your values, I would say things just come. And for me, that was like um, a realization that really everything is possible. And what led you to environmental engineering as a as a career? That that was because I actually couldn't study what I actually wanted to study at the. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I wanted to be a doctor. Uh, oh wow! Yes, that's what I really wanted to be, and uh, I. This is something that really happened at that time. My parents always supported me in everything, but they were really worried that I wanted to be a doctor because for them being a doctor was like a life of sacrifice, you know? So they mm. took me to several doctors. So these doctors actually can tell me how sacrificing is uh, for a woman or for any mm. person to study um to be a doctor, to be a medical. And mm -hmm. somehow these doctors convinced me that it was going to be really hard for a woman to study oh. medicine. And mm. I didn't study medicine. So I went for the second one that was uh, related to this. So I, I, I don't think that I really had an, um, um, a genuine or an authentic desire to study environmental engineer. But uh, of course, I enjoy, enjoyed like the five years uh, that I did mm -hmm. my whole uh, engineer degree. And it was amazing. I had like, a, I work in the field. I just, I used to enjoy it, but it was not really my thing. And just before we come on to the sort of the change of direction, what, have, have you ever regretted not becoming a doctor? Well, there was uh, some years where I regretted it but uh, nowadays I don't like nowadays I realize that everything I have done in my life have actually led me to the life I'm living now and I wouldn't change that mm. for anything it sounds cliche but it is like that so now because my mom just told me like a year ago or something like that oh I'm so sad that you didn't study it to be a doctor because they still call me the doctor Rojas in my family <laughs> because I'm always you know I read a lot of medicine uh, about medicine and I enjoy a lot about this so they mm. always call me when they need something related to this so they call me the doctor Rojas and my mother just told me this and I was like you know there is nothing to regret because I am very happy with the life I'm living right now and mm. Probably I wouldn't be here where I am if I would have followed that. But you will never know, of course. But no, no. Yes, I don't. I don't regret. It is a lovely thing to look back and, uh, uh, you know, I had a realization myself a few years ago when I was doing something that I discovered I loved, and I really, I thought, everything I have done in my whole life has brought me here. Mm -hmm. Everything. And I just, it was the, just a really, and I, I, so when you say that, I, I completely get it. And obviously there are detours and there are zigzags and there are everything, but it is a, it is a lovely feeling to think that. So I'm glad that's how you feel. But so what, so you're sort of, you love, you, you did it, but it wasn't fulfilling 
all your passions. So what made you have a change of direction? It was actually after Cambridge because uh, when I came back from Cambridge, I already knew that I have chosen again to choose something related with environmentally. And I chose sustainability when I went to Cambridge. Mm -hmm. And I knew I had made a mistake there. Mm. Of course, it's not really a mistake. There is no really mistakes or failures. It's just different results uh, for me. But um, yes, so after I came back from Cambridge, I had a period that it was like hard for me. I had broken up with my uh, boyfriend at that time, uh, ex-boyfriend at that time. And I start running. I start mm. uh, running uh, something that I have never done before in my life. I actually oh. uh, love every sports, but I used to say that running is boring, that I don't like running. <laughs> and we, without having even really experienced it, I think that when I was 13 or 14, as I said, I used to love every sports and I used to be good at them. And when I was a teenager, I start, uh, one of my teachers told us like to go and run around the pistes. And suddenly mm -hmm. I realized that I was running all alone in the piste. And what I remember at that time is seeing all my classmates basically laughing at me because I stayed there without even realizing that everyone stopped running because they were tired. <laughs> and I continue <laughs> forward. And um, um, I think that because of that uh, interpretation that probably I did at that point in my life, I went through life saying, oh, running is horrible, running oh, is no. boring, I don't like running. And I never tried running again until I was 30 and I fell in love with running. And that mm. was that was a point in my life that it, it was a completely change and shift in everything in my life. I would start running with, um, you know, a small races, a very few kilometers at the beginning. And suddenly a year later, I was like running ultra distance races. And, uh, I was going like super fast in this, um, like, let's say, uh, I, I went from running like 10k, 20k to running 100k to running 120k very fast. And people were saying, no, you shouldn't do this. You shouldn't do that. It's dangerous. You can injure yourself. And of course, that's true. But at that moment for me, it was working and I was super inspired. And mm. uh, all this brought a lot of changes in my life, including uh, me meeting my husband and uh, mm -hmm. this period. And of course, that brought more changes to my life. So I think, and also there I discover or rediscover how much my life was all about uh, sports and being in nature and feeling adventurous. And, you know, going back to that person that I was when my parents used to take me to the jungle where I felt mm. so free and so in touch. I, I don't know if you say in touch with nature, but... yes. Um, yes. So that's the feeling I had when I was 30 years old. And for me, it was like, oh, this is the way I want to live my life. This is what made me happy. This is what really is uh, fulfilling me right now. And I have changed paths many times in my life. And I think um, that has brought me where I am now. I've spoken to so many of my amazing guests 
about that sort of freedom, that movement gives you that just, uh, and nature. It's one of the recurring themes of all of them, uh, nearly all of them, that, that just that movement and being outside and how it gives you, yeah, just as you say that, that freedom. And so you went from that to being like, you know, you, you, bec- you became quite successful and sponsored runner and entered the UTMB and, and so on. Yes, I, I think after two years, I start running. I classified to run the CCC, that is the 100K mm-hmm. race of, of the UTMB. The next year, I did the TDS, that is the 120K at that time. Now it's a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And then the, the year later, I had all the points and everything to be part of the UTMB, mm. which, which felt like the next step. Um, for me and I was also super excited uh, about this race and Mm. whether there were like five because to enter to the UTMB you know you you need to go through a lottery um, Mm. for collecting some points that you need to gain in other races and I was part uh, I had all the points and I was part of a group of five people like four men and one woman and in my mm-hmm. mind I was like oh, of course I'm gonna be in the lottery because I am the only woman and there is four mm-hmm. men and I thought that the lot because the lottery of the UTMB is by countries and I thought uh. that it was also by gender uh, but I got it wrong. I was not in the lottery and I was so, so disappointed that the only woman of Ecuador at that time to represent in that distance was, was not there. Of course, I was super upset by myself because yeah. of me as well. And I started looking at other countries, uh, what have happened with the gender in other countries. And there were countries like Russia, Lithuania, that had like 20 men and one woman in the lottery and no woman was uh, classified. And it was a pattern in a lot of countries, you know? So I got in touch with the uh, organization and I said, I, I don't think this is right. I, I think this is wrong. This There is no gender in equality and I start talking to them and, you know, Catherine Poletti uh, replied to me saying that, uh, um, yes, they cannot be perfect and probably it's not a perfect system, but they cannot do anything right now that they will plan to change this in the future. Until now, they haven't done it. And the next, and that year, obviously I didn't run the UTMB and the next year I was mm. in the lottery. But you know, with all this that happened that year, uh, I was not really aligned anymore mm. with that goal. I was in Chamonix. I was in the lottery. Um, and I say, okay, I'm going to run it. But I didn't really feel it in my heart. And when you mm. think you do things not really align um, with what you feel or want, or at least for me, that's my case. Yeah, yeah. I didn't, I didn't have a good result. Of course, I, I, I quit uh, or I drop off. Do you say drop off? Yeah, drop. Dropped out. Drop out. Yeah, at kilometer 120. But mm. I thought that from the beginning, I was like, Oh, I'm going to see what happened in this race, you know? Yeah. Your heart wasn't 100% in it. It wasn't. Yeah. To summarize. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and did you, and what did you learn from that as a, about yourself? Because you, you seem to be quite good at taking elements of what's happened to you and, and putting them into a learning thing. What did you learn from that? 
Yes, that I, first of all, that I have to follow my gut and my instinct because I knew before starting the race that I didn't really want it to run the race. Yeah. I was just, you know, I was just part of like, oh, I'm in Chamonix. I am in the lottery. I am here. How come I am not going to take this opportunity that a lot of people in my, in my shoot probably are waiting for this? And mm. so first of all, follow my gut and my instincts. And second of all, that was what is really important in life for me is not really the goal of finishing a race of 170 kilometers, but the values mm. that this race um, was bringing to my life. That was. Mm. And um, they were not aligned, the values that I had at that moment of my life with the values of the organization, with the values. Uh, probably this, this part was the one that affected me the most, the, the values of the organization and my values at that time. Meaning that they, they weren't prepared to improve their equality. Is that yes. what you mean? Yes, exactly. That that is my point with that. And of course, the, the UTMB was also no. I don't know if they have changed this. Like, uh, for instance, if a if a woman, um, if you are injured, you are able to defer your um, place. Yes. yes, to defer your place for the next year, being mm. man or a woman. But if you are a woman and you got pregnant or you get pregnant, you cannot defer your uh, no. Yeah, so that was a big thing at that time. And they accepting that they were not doing a good job regarding to this, but not changing it was a big thing for me. Yeah. Yeah, so I don't know if they have changed it already, but a lot of organizations do. A lot of organizations uh, do these kind of things just to help women that, of course, I, I am not asking as a woman to have a special treatment or anything, but I do believe that women have a little bit more difficult than men to go out and train um in many, in many ways, you know, uh, security, mm. um, raising childs, a child. And um, so I do think that, it, and women are a minority in these kind of races. Yeah. So, of course, organizations, especially one organization like the UTMB, have a big responsibility and a big, uh, in leading this kind of change. Yes. A big voice. Yeah. Exactly. So for me, yeah. that was one of my um, main things, I would say. I, uh, I love you talking about your gut and your instincts, uh, because I know on a personal note, the story of you meeting your husband and from him meeting him to him becoming your husband, you, it was pretty quick and you really had to follow your gut on that one, didn't you? Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, we met through a friend, actually, um, through a friend that I met when I was in Cambridge, actually, uh, who introduced us through Facebook. And uh, at that point in my life, I was like in such a good place. I was living in Ecuador, being like, um, you know, super free and being um, single and really, really enjoying my life. So I didn't really want it to get involved, especially with someone that was far away. Um, but mm. Jonas was like super, you know, he took action like very fast as well. And he was like, Oh, I really want to meet you. I really want to do this. He bought tickets to go to Ecuador. He got sick. We couldn't meet. And then we met, uh, I went uh, to La Palma, had to mm. do a race in Transvulcania in La Isla Bonita. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, Jonas flew there from London and we met there. Uh, we spent an amazing week, obviously after four months of talking uh, through a Skype. And mm-hmm. uh, then we met that week. And then I went to Chamonix and I spent uh, some months there. Uh, basically, we were um, boyfriend and girlfriend for four or five months. And then he proposed. So it was really mm-hmm. fast. <laughs> <laughs> it was really fast and yes I did have to follow my gut there and I I'm happy to say that I didn't made a mistake <laughs> with that decision uh, <laughs> because I know th- yeah, go on no no you go on uh, because I, I you know and I I've met you both and I you know we don't know each other terribly well but I've loved following your story and he in particular on is, is very active on Instagram and just uh, such such an inspiring character and full of such great, um, you know, I, he did his hundred days of winter this year in Sweden um, because I think we, with COVID and the long, long nights, you know, the, the, the lack of sunshine, it was, it was needing something to sort of uh, bolster oh. the mood and so on. And I loved it. And I actually did a 10 days of winter as he suggested, you know, if you can't do the hundred, you do the 10. And I just, I love the story of the two of you. And I, I wonder how his, uh, I want, don't want to say influence because it makes it sound like you didn't have any say in it, but how his sort of enthusiasm for life met with your enthusiasm for life and has led you to what you're doing now has that how much has that been a partnership oh it's been amazing because actually when I moved to Switzerland uh, when we got married when I met you Katie I was in a very Mm. like um in a place where I wasn't, you know, I had my career, I had my work in Ecuador, I had my friends, I had everything. And and then I basically changed my life to live in a very small town where I didn't know anyone. I didn't know the language, my English at that time, I didn't feel it was good enough. So I was feeling like pretty dumb even in um, um, conversations with friends that you we used to have at that time, probably even with you and Graham. Mm. And uh, I was super um, insecure, um, like from being very secure to feeling very insecure and not mm. having confidence in that year of my life and not knowing what I was going to do, what I am going to do for work and for living and not really finding anything um, around Verbier because, of course, either you do um, your own job there, you're, you have your own company or you mm. do something related to tourism or... Um, I don't know how to say, well, restaurants or something like this. Yes, right? yeah, yeah. Hospitality. Hospitality, exactly. And I didn't want to do that. And then Jonas was like, you know what? You love running. You love this. Why don't we, why don't you start doing like tours around here? And I was like, who am I to do this kind of thing? <laughs> <laughs> I was dafting myself so much. So Jonas was a big inspiration at that time. Uh, mm. I couldn't see it at the way he was able to see it uh, because for him, it was also a big change in life. He used to work in finance. Mm. He's a lawyer. And suddenly we changed our life to do what we do now, we have a travel adventure company mm-hmm. that was born basically there in Verbier, in um, Pradayer. <laughs> and uh, yes, he has been an amazing influence for sure. And he's super supportive in everything. Everything I want to do, he's there for me. And, you know, just to 
to to push me if I am sometimes feeling like this imposter syndrome that sometimes mm. comes. <laughs> and yeah, it has been amazing. And you know, through winter, as you were saying, for me, winters in the Alps, I used to complain a little bit because we don't have this kind of winters in Ecuador, but winter yeah. in Sweden, oh my God, winter in Sweden is another level of winter. <laughs> <laughs> And so, and the, so were you involved in the hundred days? Did you, you didn't do all of the days? No, I did. I did all of you the did. days. Yes. Amazing. Was, <laughs> yes. Actually, it was, um, one thing that we were planning with Jonas, uh, for summer, like 100 days of adventure. And we were saying, and then I say, like, imagine 100 days of winter. And Jonas was like, okay, we are doing this. And I was like, <laughs> oh, no, no, I'm not doing that. And I ended up doing it. And it was mm. amazing because I tried so many different things. Yeah. It was hard. It was hard, especially after day 50 or 55. Um, mm. You know, here um, sunrise comes some days uh, when it's early in the winter at 9.30, 10 a.m. And sunset mm. is at 3.30, sometimes 2.30. Oof. So it's really, really hard. But mm. that kept me motivated, both of us, obviously. But uh, yeah. um, it kept us motivated and trying new things and just going out even when the weather was really harsh because the temperature here where we're living can be even minus 30 degrees. Oof, yowzers. No, it was absolutely brilliant. And I loved it. I was very inspired by it. I did, I think I managed 21 days. I set out to do 10 and ended up doing 21. So it was absolutely brilliant. I loved it. I absolutely loved it. And I rode a horse in the snow for the first time. Oh, so bad. I, uh, you know, I took up cross country skiing. I, and it was just such a brilliant idea. And at the time, you know, winter, COVID, everything, same sort of thing. It was just, and I wasn't really training for anything. So it was actually quite fun to do stuff that was just, you know, fitness for the fun of it rather than with a massive goal in mind. And I thought it was absolutely inspiring. So thank you to you both for that. I loved it. It was really amazing. And if anybody wants to try it, I think uh, Jonas had suggested doing this sort of just 10, hashtag 10 days of adventure or I can't remember the, the thing, but uh, it is really worth doing, just doing a different activity every single day. Yeah. It was really, really fab. It's really good to yeah. keep, to keep you motivated, to keep you motivated, especially if you are in a period where you're saying, oh, this is going to be hard, you know? Yeah, exactly. And so moving on, so you started your travel adventure company and the photography business, the travel photography business as well. What, how has that been for you? What is, how is it working for yourselves? And uh, obviously it must've been really hard given that it's just, we've, nobody's traveling or adventuring that much at the moment. <laughs> yes. So uh, last year by February or January, we were saying like, we were so tired because we were traveling a lot. Uh, mm. We were we have tours in Greenland, in Nepal, in Ecuador, in the Alps, in Sweden, and in different parts of the world, really. And we were traveling a lot. And th at that time, like I think two years ago by now, we also um, had our camper for initially it was only for two or three months, and we ended up staying in the camper in the van for mm. almost seven months. So we Oof. both were like super tired of uh, traveling um, mm. because of the business that we do, right? And 
we were complaining a lot, like between of us, of course, uh, but at the same time, enjoying it a lot. Mm. And suddenly COVID came. (laughs) So at the beginning for us, it was a big uh, relief because Mm. we finally found stability and we stayed in one place. We moved to Sweden and Yes, but after three or four months for us, it was enough. And yes, I would mm. say it has been hard to not be working. Um, well, we have been involved in other projects and doing other things, but uh, we do love what we do. We love our company. We love to be able to travel, to uh, be surrounded by other people that are actually like, you know, uh, like super enthusiastic and adventurous as well because we are constantly learning from other people mm. and um, it is amazing we love our job and um, Yona's side is, is more the photography side of the business mm-hmm. and uh, I like the trail running and the trekking trips um, that we also do under another brand of uh the, the company so mm-hmm. we do the three things like photography um landscape photography trips uh running mm-hmm. trail running trips and trekking trips amazing and you've taken up uh, or maybe not taken up but fast packing has become one of your uh your passions yes i love fast packing because i think it's a way um for you to uh, I, I love running in races. I love the environment. I love the people. I love everything that is around a race, the adrenaline, the competition with yourself and with others, of course. Uh, but I also love just the way that you can enjoy fast packing, like having a very light backpack with you mm. and just moving and chose choose a route that can take 100k or 200k you know and do it in several days like really Mm. owning it and really having doing it under your time your terms stopping for a picture stopping to see the sunrise Mm. the sunset and really taking those moments without feeling the pressure of the time that you have um during a race because as much as I enjoy races is a very mm. different feeling to be out yeah. and really feel the freedom that you can stop and see the flowers you know uh, smell even the poo of a cow and just <laughs> all of that in your sense yeah because it really changed the whole thing for me it's like um running in general feels feels like a very um medi- meditating or spirituality um yes a lot like i feel a lot about it uh, when i run and when you're fast packing you have more time for it and so i love it i love the fast packing and jonas loves the loves the 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 tracks that are more like uh, you know walking with a a little bit heavier backpack and Mm -hmm. i enjoy that a lot but I enjoy that too, but I enjoy more uh, being lighter. <laughs> yeah, well, it's easier to move quicker, isn't it? If you if yes. you want to, and and it's amazing. How, I think how when you absolutely pare back everything you are carrying to the the lightest, the smallest, the least amount of stuff, how much, how long you can go and live with so little stuff. I think it's the most extraordinary thing feeling in the world to be out there thinking, 
well, I'm perfectly safe and happy and comfortable and warm. And yet I'm carrying about 12 things. Yeah. I don't need anything else. (laughs) Yes. Then you realize that you don't really need much in life to, to enjoy, to be happy. Of course you want things and that's also okay, Mm -hmm. but you don't really need them. And uh, Mm. that's something that we also realized. And when we were in the van, we basically had our whole life (laughs) in the van. And uh, it was a big realization for us, for sure. And uh, of course, there is nothing wrong with wanting more things in life. Uh, And uh, But But it's good to feel that. Yes. Feeling of, uh, it's a bit like, it goes back to the freedom, doesn't it? Because it it does feel like a form of freedom in a way. It is liberating for sure. Mm. And so let's go back to something you talked about earlier, which was the setting up of your online course. Tell me about that, because that sounds absolutely brilliant. Yes. So I realized that it was difficult for me to reach um, um, the market in Latin America uh, mm. with my tours and things like this. And I, I am not saying this just in a business way, but also I wanted people or I want people in Latin America that they actually enjoy uh, doing this kind of activities, you know, going fast packing or trekking or enjoy this kind of adventures in a different way that I haven't mm. been able to enjoy being here in, in Europe. And of course, you can do this everywhere in the world, even in Latin America. But I wanted to offer, um, let's say, my people something a little bit more, a way for them to learn how to create mm. their own adventures, how to planify uh a route, how to plan your food, how to plan how many kilometers you are going to do, how to choose a route, a route that is right for you and how to travel and how to learn to travel in a different way. That is not mm. only like, you know, uh, touring through cities, but actually mm-hmm. doing what you love. If you like running, if you like trekking, if you like tra- running, doing these fast packing trips or these trekking trips is actually amazing i can i cannot recommend enough if for 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 people who like this kind of sports to just go out and uh, and do it because it's mm. an amazing experience that gives you a lot of growth a lot of uh, experience in different things you know like from the planning you need to learn to read a map, to read how much elevation gain you have in a day, mm. the distance that you are going to cover, how much time is going to take uh, for you. And one big part of my course is also to work in the mindset because there is a lot of things that are limiting uh, mm. us. Um, of course, it changes from, from people to if, from person to person but some woman or uh, will say like I don't have time I already have a family or I am already married or I already have kids and I don't have the time or the energy to do it right mm. or I am too afraid to do it alone for instance or some some women are also really afraid just doing this with another friend and yeah this is the thing I want to teach um woman that they can overcome that is all about you really stepping out of that zone where or of those beliefs that are actually telling you that are telling you that you can do certain things because you actually can if you really want Mm. to move forward so a big part of the course is that part of the mindset because if you don't change that 
part, if you are not aware of this, it's difficult mm. to change. Uh, the easiest part is to learn, uh, you know, how to plan the route. The, the yeah. difficult part is actually saying, okay, I'm going. And how has that been received? How have you, have you found lots of willing participants in Latin America? Well, I just uh, launched the course like two months ago, I believe. Um, I did have like six people in my uh, course and it was amazing. Um, I have had amazing uh, feedback from the course and mm -hmm. I, I felt like super happy because this is actually what I was uh, hoping for to see this kind of changes. Actually, uh, one of the participants of the course just texted me she's gonna do and uh, the tmb this year another mm. one also told me that she's doing a trail running trip in ecuador now like a trail running a uh, fast uh, packing trip in ecuador and this has been amazing to see you know all these changes but also this changing mindset doesn't really change only for the things related to adventure but everything around mm -hmm. um in all aspects in your life really so yeah, it has been amazing. I am hoping uh, that I can share my message in uh, how to say, you know, managing social net networks right now is uh, mm -hmm. the main thing to actually uh, the way you can uh, reach people and share the yes. message and actually teach people uh, uh, the things that I am talking about. And I have been a little bit slow with that, but uh, I am truly looking forward for that. So your website is in Spanish. Have you started a podcast? Is that right? As oh, well? yes, I did start. Also in Spanish. Also in Spanish. So, so, so there's a sort of a Spanish theme there. If anyone listening thinks, God, that sounds amazing. Is there an, a possibility to talk to you about this in English as well? Yes, of course. Of course. I would love to actually, uh, that was one of my big things. Like, should I talk about this in English or in Spanish at the beginning? But, um, I, I just decided to go with the Spanish because, mm. um, because I really wanted to reach the Latin American market because I just feel that market is, um, it's, is the one that needs the most to have this message mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. now because there is a lot of people talking about this in English now. But of course, if someone wants to reach me and I, I, I am super open to it for, for sure. Excellent. Well, we'll put all the details on the show notes so people can get hold of you. Now, the other thing, uh, you said that you had been a little bit slow in the last couple of months, but there, there's a very good reason for that because you have had a bit of a loss in your life recently. And uh, again, I wanted to say how sorry I am, but you lost, you and Jonas lost a baby recently. Yes, we did. It actually happened by the end of March, I believe. And uh, yeah. yes, it was, uh, thank you, Katie. <laughs> and it was, uh, hard. It was hard because I was not expecting to lose our baby. Um, mm. we have been trying to have babies already for, let's say, three years or something like mm. that. We were not really worried about it because we were like, oh, we are, we still have some time, you know, we were traveling and we were enjoying ourselves. So, uh, but this year we decided and we say, okay, we are gonna go for it. And we actually mm. start a treatment, uh, to do oh. it. And it worked. And, but I lost my baby at the week oh. 10, more or less. Yes. And it was yeah. very sad for sure. 
And you were saying earlier when we were talking before we started recording that that you feel that you've learned from hearing about other people going through the same thing and you've learned some things through the grief. Yes, at the beginning it was very difficult because, you know, at the beginning as I I felt that I was I felt guilty. Mm. I felt I felt guilt. I felt uh, I felt super sad. I didn't understand. I felt also that it was difficult to talk about it uh, because I felt ashamed. Mm. And then I realized just by listening to other people, to li- listening to podcasts and reading, how common this was mm. and how stigmatized this losses sometimes are because Mm. when uh, someone in our family die you do talk about it you do say it you you do grieve but when a baby that is and an unborn baby that is so so little dies like it's difficult to share this yeah but it's just because we have been uh, other women or other couples uh have been also not talking about this, probably mm. because of the same reasons I wasn't talking at the beginning. Mm. But when I start talking about it and I'm just being more open about this, especially Jonas was the one that was more open about it uh, mm. with his friends, we start just hearing how many other people passed through the same thing that mm. we were um that we were going through at that time. And I just realized that uh we the things that we don't talk about it, they are just more difficult to deal with just yeah. because we don't express our feelings, just because we don't grieve. So I really allow myself to, to feel, to talk and to be more open about it. And it was super, um, helpful for me to heal and to listen to other people. Mm. And it, one of the other things that I learned from this was that at the beginning, I wasn't really sure if I really wanted to be a mother or not. Mm. Like I still had my doubts, you know, mm. and now I know for certain mm. that I, re- that I want to be a mother, that I want to have a child. Yeah. And that when that happened, of course, I will be more ready for that. Yeah. That may- mainly that, and that, yes, that we shouldn't, we should not, of course, this is up to anyone, to every person. But when you talk about this, I'm not talking that you have to, I'm not saying that you have to say this more publicly or anything, but when you are able to share this, at least with the people that are close to you in a more open way mm. and express your feelings, it's really healing. Oh, that's, I'm glad to hear that something positive has come out of it. And I, I I hadn't really thought about that. You know, you saying you absolutely now know that you want to be a mum. I think that's a beautiful thing to have realized from that. And I'm, as I say, I'm, I'm so sorry. And I know that Jonas went off and took some time to do some walking and camping to work through it as well. But I think having people to talk to you about these things is so important. And, And as you say, because whenever it's something that's really hard or has been deemed to be a bit shameful for whatever reason, the the more you talk about it, as you say, the more people go, oh yeah, I, I've had that. That's happened to me. And I can, this is how I dealt with it. And this is how I felt. And you think, oh, I'm not on my own anymore. 
Yes, you don't feel so alone in your feelings, mm-hmm. I guess, and you feel some company. Even uh, uh, yes, you can relate to other people, and yes, it's so normal. Uh, this, you know, that is like one in four uh, childs do not like. I don't know how to say this, but one in four pregnancies, four pre- pregnancies, yeah. you lose wow. one pregnancy. So it's a very high number. That is high. I didn't realize that. Yeah, it's very high. It's very, very high. Oh, well, lots hopefully to look forward to with your new course and your new and the business and and business and life coming back after COVID and uh, things to, yeah, to to focus on going forward into the future. Thank you, Kate. It was amazing to be here with you. Uh, well, thank you. Um, did you have, oh, so um, f- social media, you're on uh, Instagram yes, and Facebook? It's, um, yes, I'm on Instagram as uh, veronicarojas.u. Mm-hmm. And on Facebook, also, you can find me as uh, veronicarojas.u. Um, mm-hmm. And um yeah, I will say that's all and my podcast, uh, which hasn't been active because uh, of what you were saying. Mm-hmm. I was going through a difficult time. But uh, yeah, my podcast is also there. As um, My podcast is called Indomable, which in uh, in English means untamed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> nice. Right. Yes. And it's in Spanish. It's in yes. Spanish. Yeah. Yes. And you did you, by any chance, have a challenge, Katie, for me? Yes, I had one, but I had to change uh, the <laughs> challenge I originally had for you. Do you because want me my, to say it? Yes, because is it because of because of my dodgy hip that I? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm really sorry about oh, that. Oh, not to worry. Thank you. <laughs> Tell me. Yes, I had a challenge for you, and it was uh, you doing. Uh, do you know the Tour de Bal de Bangs? I do. Yes. Yes, doing it uh, fast packing. Oh, nice. Yes. Yes, I think it would have taken you maybe three or four days uh, to do it. And uh, it's 100K. Ooh. And it goes it goes basically from your house uh, up to Berbier and then to Lac Luby and then to, uh, uh, you know, Panossier. And then it's, yes, so it's all around there. Amazing. Okay, yes. But now... What am I to do now? <laughs> because I may I may well be able to do that. I've had some treatment for my hip, and I may be able to do it sort of in a in stages. But go on. So tell me what you, what else you thought of? Yes, because you don't really need to do that uh, fast packing, right? Mm. But you can do trekking or uh, something mm. like that. And I was just going to recommend you a book uh, from Louis Hay that is called "You Can Heal Your Life." Oh, I don't know if you have read it. No, I haven't. Yes, so that's my challenge for you. For and wh- who's the author? Uh, Louise Hay. Louise Hay. Okay, I will look that up and I'll put it in the show notes. So anyone else who fancies that as a as a, some reading material for the summer can look it up too. Uh, thank you so much for your time. I, I think your story is incredible and uh, I love the sort of change in direction that you I, I I just love the sort of the going with your gut that seems to have been a theme throughout your life. I think it's really inspiring. Thank you, Katie. Really, thank you for having me here. It has been, um, it has given me also a lot of clarity talking to you. Hmm. And uh, 
yes, I'm really happy that you actually invited me to this podcast. My pleasure. Speak to you soon. Bye, Katie. Thanks for joining me. I'll be back next week with another incredible episode of Chatting to a Friend. In the meantime, please give us a follow on Instagram, Chatting to a Friend, for all the latest news. Bye-bye.